What are the benefits of owning your health? How can looking for answers to chronic conditions such as fatty liver and ulcerative colitis lead to going down the rabbit hole wisdom traditions and culminate in a groundbreaking breathwork modality, an enlightening award-winning documentary, and much more? When faced with stressful, challenging situations, how can we tap into more intuitive, wiser parts of ourselves when we, quote, say it out loud? And how can members of the South Asian diaspora untether themselves from limiting beliefs by seeking therapy and help for mental health issues, especially when many of us have traditionally taken a grin and bear it approach? Stay tuned as we touch on these and many other topics in this special wrapping up 2023 edition of Untether Your Life. Welcome to Untether Your Life, a show that empowers you to own your own health and break free of templates for managing physical and mental wellness, and looks at key issues impacting the South Asian diaspora. I am your host, Nikhil Torsikar, and I'm passionate about the power of conversation to catalyze change. 2023 was probably one of the most transformational years of my life, complete with many highs and lows. It was the year when we said our final farewell to my beloved father-in-law after a nearly 30-year battle with Parkinson's disease. It was also the year my family and I finally made the move from the windy city to the fairer climate of Southern California. In 2023, I also had the privilege of speaking with more than 20 incredibly impactful souls on the Untether Your Life podcast. In the tagline of the show, I talk about the, quote, power of conversation to catalyze change. These 20-odd exchanges demonstrated that power to me in spades as they deepened my understanding and appreciation of myriad viewpoints and methodologies. These include cognitive empathy, psychedelic therapy, brain spotting, breath work, and much more. I've shared highlights from these episodes in this wrap-up episode of Untether Your Life. I invite you to listen in, check out the show notes, and perhaps connect with one of the guests on Instagram, LinkedIn, or what's that one platform? It starts with the letter X. Here's hoping 2023 ended on a good note for you, and let's make 2024 the brightest year yet. And with that, let's get untethered. In this clip, Janiyad Iqbal discusses the origin of his platform and podcast, NoDegree.com. So I was on Reddit, April mm-hmm. 2014. Someone asked, for those of you without a college degree who make over six figures, what do you do and how do you get the job? It was like, I'm a claims adjuster. Mm-hmm. I'm a plumber. I'm an elevator repairman. I'm a surveyor. And I was thinking like, no one grows up and says, I want to be a surveyor. And all the answers was, how do you get the job? Oh, my uncle, my cousin, my neighbor, my friend. So right. I was like, what if you don't have that uncle, cousin, or neighbor? What do you do? And I was like, you're stuck. And I was like, why can't I be the uncle, cousin, or friend? Then the other thing is, there are so many hardworking people who work in retail, like a Dunkin' Donuts, like a Best mm-hmm. Buy, all these things who have a lot of capabilities, but they're stuck. They know how to work. They don't have people guiding them. So I was like, why can't I be that guide? And that's, you know, I bought the domain name, nodegree.com. It was like 1400 bucks. And it was just a bunch of years of research and just growing as a person. And I quit my job in 2018 four years, full-time entrepreneur. So I'm happy, but it's a long road, man. It's a long road. Join Jason Goldberg as he touches on the premise of his insightful and hilarious book, Prison Break. But the entire premise behind that was how did it feel to live the way that I did for the first 30 years? And the way I lived for the first 30 years was being a victim of circumstance going on in the world. If good things were happening, then I was happy. If bad things were happening, I was sad. And so I'm constantly at the whim of my emotions and what's happening in the economy and what's happening in the politics and all these different things. That became the deciding factor on how my life would feel. And I didn't know any other way because I was raised by a mom who I loved to death, a single mother, only child. It was always the two of us, single Jewish mother, so she 
can hear everything that we're saying right now, all the way in Florida. He also believed that if you wanted to be happy, you have to mold and modify and manipulate everything around you. And that was how I was for the first 30 years. And it really felt like I was in a prison of my own making. It really felt like I was being held captive by something. The trick of this entire thing is that there is no prison. We are both the captive and the captor. It feels like there's something that's holding us down and it's not, life is not going to get better unless everything out there changes. That's what the premise of the book is. It's how do you break out of this self-imposed prison of the mind and hopefully have a little fun in the process. Many of us in the Asian diaspora can attest to the disproportionate emphasis that our culture places on academic and professional achievement. Here, Benoit Kim discusses the impact that this can have on our mental health. I think it's a double-edged sword packed with more nuances, like the mm -hmm. model minority myth. A lot of us are air-quote successful by the societal metrics with fancy titles, degrees, salaries. So that's what I was raised under, that achievements over everything, perseverance will always prevail. And that learns it always prevails until it doesn't. So I didn't believe in mental health. I thought you can just sleep it off, work harder, keep your heads down. And that's how I spent the majority of my adolescent years in the first half of my 20s, where I just aimed after achievements. But then I realized that all these expectations and self-worth that attached to these accolades or achievements didn't really make me happier. When you're expecting something on the other side, the anticipatory bliss, when you get there, the bliss is often not there. And instead, I realized most miserable people that I know are the most successful people. I needed that for me to pivot and I became a mental health advocate because I saw this utter consuming darkness that plagues mm -hmm. a lot of us every single day. Cognitive empathy is a unique paradigm and gets a very thorough inspection here by Charmin Cruz, TEDx speaker, best-selling author, attorney, and Northwestern University professor. After my family and I escaped Iran, we escaped war, oppression, we immigrated to Canada and then the U.S. with no money, and we found all these freedoms, but then we also learned it's not just bombs and brutal governments that take your power away. When you're a minority or a woman or poor or an immigrant, these things weaken your position in every negotiation, whether you're asking to lead the team at work or bargaining your bonus structure. And I really learned to correct this imbalance using a stoic kind of empathy. Think of a movie, think of the moment that Iceman dies in Maverick or the orgasm scene in When Harry Met Sally. You feel shock and pain when Iceman dies, embarrassment when Sally fakes her orgasm. But these are fictional characters. You're not actually there. And yet you still feel the feeling that their experiences is trying to generate in you. Now translate that into real life. That is a much stronger connection in the real world. You're feeling what other people are feeling. Cognitive empathy is the other kind, and it doesn't require any emotional connection at all. There is just an understanding of the thoughts and emotions of the other side, looking at the world through their paradigm. What I'm really passionate about is combining this cognitive empathy, which is kind of like a stoic empathy. It is an emotional control of yourself while being aware of the emotions of others to gain power in both personal and professional settings. Here, Brown Man Therapy founder Ankur Varma provides an insightful look at the implication of untethering as it relates to seeking therapy for help with mental health. Untethering is not a loss of control. It's actually you getting more control just over different parts of life that you choose. It's really important to have that reframe and that understanding when you're entering therapy that you are actually doing this to gain more control over your life and your reactions to the things that life throws at you. We sometimes carry a lot of fear pulling ourselves away from what we've believed our whole life. But untethering yourself, really, it's, it's a choice. 
and you get to drive that journey looks like for you. There is a benefit even to the negative things in our life. There is a benefit to depression at that moment that you are depressed. It doesn't always look like it, but there is a reason that your brain went into depression, that your body went into depression. And so by untethering, by pulling yourself apart from things that you might believe or patterns, communication styles, relationship habits, you get to come back to which styles, which beliefs, which patterns you choose to keep because they're effective for your lifestyle and your goals. And so why I love Untether Your Life is really that's what we're doing at the beginning of therapy. Not all at once. I right. that's the scary part about entering therapy. Is I'm going to question everything in my life. Absolutely not. We might pick and choose a couple areas that you question, you process, you explore. It's never too late to make that change, to untether yourself from something that is no longer working. Join author, mental health advocate, and keynote speaker Jenny Thrasher. She breaks down the elements of holistic healing and the mind-body connection, which are also covered in her book. And a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got to take a holistic approach. We've got to be aware of that mind-body connection. What does that actually mean? To the common everyday person who's facing challenges, what does it mean to take a holistic approach? And so this is where I've actually broken it down and all of this will be in my next book where mm -hmm. it shows this is what it means when we talk about our physical health. Just mm -hmm. because we're talking about mental health doesn't mean it's always the bad stuff. Right. Our mental health is also how we're able to move through something and it's our resiliency. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at our physical experience, our physical interactions, hormones, genetics. We're looking at the food we're eating, the TV shows we're watching, the podcasts we're listening to. Those are all elements of our physical health. Our mental health is how we're processing information and how we're communicating it with other people. It is our executive functioning skills. And then we have our emotional health. This is where we lose a lot of great people due to a lack of recognition of how important it is to be in tune with our emotional health. Our emotions are our soul's way of communicating to us, letting us know there's something we need to be aware of. This is good or this is bad. This is healthy. This is unhealthy. When we have an imbalance in any one of those systems, it will cause an imbalance in the others. And this is where it's nice to have this chart and to look at it and go, okay, I'm feeling off. This is not my normal behavior. What do I need to look at to see where's the imbalance? Where can I make tweaks and adjustments? Erwin Valencia, aka the godfather of gratitude, touches on how finding a balance between stillness and aggression as exemplified in martial arts, can help optimize performance in professional sports, technology, and many other domains. When people think about sports, there's this militaristic rah-rah attitude, right? Where it's just about a gladiator mindset, where it's mm -hmm. like, let's go into battle, let's you know, fight to the death. It's very adrenaline fueled. But you take a little bit of a different mindset. If you could talk to me about what's the mindset you're trying to cultivate, both for yourself as well as the players that you work with. I think martial arts, which was my entry point into mindset practice and meditation and mindfulness, showed me that there's a possible way to not only be aggressive, but also find stillness. I started learning about meditation as it relates to martial arts when I was seven years old. And by the time mm -hmm. I was 12, as a black belt, I I started teaching that. I was always fascinated how martial arts have always combined this aggression, but this peacefulness as well. Early history of books of about samurais and ninjas, but, yeah. but the fighting monks, which blended a sense of stillness, artisticness, creativity, but also can kick ass. So right. I think I was always fascinated about the duality 
of this. I think that's why mm-hmm. I fit perfectly. If there's one place for me to fit perfectly in, it's, it's in sport, but also applicable in the tech world. I think it's all about performing at a high level, but also finding peace and stillness within that chaos, allowing yourself to be the best versions of yourselves as much as possible. Robert Party elucidates the meaning of possibility in action, his personal growth philosophy that was informed by numerous life experiences, including the premature loss of his wife to cancer at age 41. As I learned with Desiree, is there really safety? As we all learned with COVID, is there really safety? The thing that exists and will always exist is change, or as it's said in Buddhism, anicca, you know, impermanence. Impermanence is the only thing that exists. Possibility in action is actually my life's philosophy. It is something that I wrote in a journal years and years ago. Possibilities exist all around us, but without action, they remain in the land of wishing. And that could create regret. Possibility in action is understanding that transformation is possible. You have to walk away from labeling. You have to walk away from the shoulds. When you understand your values, you understand your beliefs, you understand the story you want to live. You're able then to see the possibilities that can make that happen and the actions you need to take. I had to teach English for $8 an hour. That was an action that took a possibility and created it into my reality. That's really what possibility in action is all about. We create limits. We create barriers. We create excuses that come from survival mechanism. We all have to pass. Do you want to sit seeing possibilities, but not taking action because of fear or figuring out how you can make those possibilities into your reality? In this clip, Tanya Mitra of The Remixed Relationship discusses the vital importance of owning your mental health, a topic that eludes many in the South Asian community due to shame, fear, and stigma. We are responsible for our mental health journey and our wellness journeys, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think it's such an important thing for us to stop resisting that we might need support, to stop worrying Mm -hmm. about what other people might think, what culturally has been passed down to us, to release ourselves from that stigma, because every single one of us can benefit from support, guidance, whatever that looks like, we can all benefit from it. And it doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. forever because eventually you do learn how to manage your own emotions and your own wellness. You find the right fit for you. But initially we might need some support and finding um, peace within that is so important, especially in our South Asian community. And I think that's changing with this, the younger generation. I think that they are speaking much more candidly about mental health and what struggles look like in that realm. But, you know, there's still this part of our culture that stigmatizes it to the extent that it might prevent us from seeking the support in the time that we need it. We are the only ones who can affect that level of change in our own lives. And it's our responsibility if we want to have happy, healthy, successful, fulfilled, purpose-driven lives that we need to be in charge of our own wellness. Banking on Angels author Neil Bakshi discusses why the proof is in the pudding when it comes to fully realizing the benefits of breathwork, meditation, Reiki healing, and other holistic modalities. It's starting to be really realized that 
there's scientific proof as to why meditation is beneficial. It increases cortical mm -hmm. thickness. It helps you sleep better. It helps you really be able to cognitively discern what's happening when you're able to slow down the brainwave functions of your mind. And it allows you to think more clearly in a less stressful, intense state. It's amazing because my parents came to the US over 40 years ago and they would talk about yoga and people would look at them like they had nine different heads. And so right. now you can't drive past a highway strip mall without seeing a yoga studio. Similarly, I think that's exactly what's happening with breath work, with meditation, with energy healing, all of these modalities, people realize there's something more happening. Why do I feel so much better after a Reiki energy healing session? Why do I feel incredibly relaxed, clear, and like I've released toxins from my body? Why does meditation make me feel so incredibly clear-headed, so mm -hmm. calm, so able to tackle difficult tasks and even handle stressful situations with incredible composure? Why does breathwork help me really tap into higher states of consciousness? And again, I don't want people to take just my word for it. I think people need to firsthand experience and do these things and say, okay, this is something that I really find a benefit of, or this is what I feel when I do these things. They will then feel motivated to enact it and put it into practice in their life. Join Dr. Nilesh Sadhguru as he discusses neuroplasticity, the scientifically proven benefits of compassion, and our innate ability to change the shape and function of our brains have the power to shape and change the structure and function of our brain. It's really fascinating work from Dr. Daniel Seagull. He is a psychiatrist, but also a researcher and neuroscientist at UCLA. And he wanted to define what the mind is. They said the mind is a regulatory process that controls the flow of energy and information. Mm -hmm. Neuroplasticity means that we have the power through our own experiences, through emotion, through novelty, to create new connections between our nerve cells. And of course, mm -hmm. this is where compassion comes in, because what we know about neuroscience and compassion is that... If we took the Buddhist monks who meditate on compassion for years, mm -hmm. we see that they have greater connections between the left side of their brain and the right side of their brain. Mm -hmm. They have more connections from the back, the reptilian brain, right to the front, which is the prefrontal cortex. And here's the most fascinating part, is they also have more connections between what's called undifferentiated parts of our brain. So those childhood memories that have been repressed right back in our hippocampus, with compassion, you're able to make new connections. And essentially, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about potential and true success, true fulfillment, your identity is just a fully integrated brain, mind, body, spirit. That's our natural state of healing. If you can make someone feel connected, you have done such an amazing thing for them that their body will naturally start to relax and potentially even start to heal depending on how connected they feel and for how long. Here, Vasavi Kumar discusses the transformational power we harness when we, quote, say it out loud. This is also the title of her podcast and book, which was published earlier this year. So I'm here to normalize that saying your thoughts and words out loud really do have the power to transform your life, okay? Hearing your voice has the power to guide you. So think about when you're up against a challenge or a difficult decision or your own thoughts and scenarios in your head that your natural instinct might be to shut down or avoid or say, I'll figure this out later or I'm just not even gonna think about it. Or you might feel overwhelmed by the situation at hand and then all logic goes out the window. And so and during those challenging, stressful times, this is where you get to notice how you speak to yourself. Talk to yourself out loud and play with the sound of your voice. Play with the tone, play with the inflection, the volume, the pitch, and the texture. 
of your voice because your voice can help soothe you in times of stress, right? So talking to yourself out loud helps you increase your focus. So you might want to say to yourself, all right, let's get to work. You get to play with your voice in that way to help you increase your focus, reducing stress. This will help with the, that stressed out, sad inner child, maybe who's overwhelmed. You might say, you're going to be okay. I'm here. You're safe. You see how I changed my tone? You see how I changed my volume when I when I want to reduce stress? I'm not going to say, get out of your stress. You're going to talk to yourself in a calmer way. When you're confronted with something uncomfortable, rather than avoid it, run from it, lie about it, or beat ourselves up, we can actually talk to ourselves, talk ourselves through the situation by accessing different parts of us, the more wise and intuitive and logical parts of us. Neeraj Nayak discusses the, quote, dark night of the soul that ultimately led to the launch of Soma Breath, his groundbreaking breathwork modality. It was really, really the dark night of the soul. I remember going super inward and just praying for help. It was like I gave up on God and then suddenly turned to God in this moment. And they say God stands with gift of desperation. Literally in the most desperate moments is when God appears. Like firstly, my uncle telling me about this book, The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Dr. Joseph Murphy. And he brought both wisdoms together. So he was a Christian scientist and an Ayurvedic physician and a pharmacist. So he um, talks about this process of scientific prayer and how you can speak to your unconscious mind in a certain brainwave state, which is the prayer. And that's what churches do. You go into a church and those acoustics and right. the ambience with the candle lights puts you into an alpha brainwave state. So I went down that path and decided to come up with my own system of scientific prayers using certain affirmations that said with absolute conviction in a altered state, like an alpha brainwave state. What I found was really soothing was going into the sauna and the heat shock of the sauna, 80 to 90 degrees centigrade stimulates the growth of new brain cells, also increases blood flow dramatically to the brain, but also puts you into that low alpha brainwave meditative state. So what I did was I took the breathing techniques from pranayama of extended exhalations, rhythmic breathing, uh-huh. chanting orm, started doing them in the sauna, praying with the conviction, using the affirmation to visualize yourself healthy and happy. So boom, what happens? That then opens up a huge rabbit hole. In this clip, Nilu Carr shares the I-We speedometer introduced in her book, Be Your Own Cheerleader, which helps South Asians and Asians navigate between the collectivist and individualist mindsets in corporate America. You have a lot of great concepts in your book, and one of them is this notion of this I-We speedometer. Can you talk a little bit more about that concept and how it interweaves into this collectivist mindset that you and I had grown up with? So collective cultures, whether it's South Asian or East Asian cultures, are very we-based. It's all about group harmony, not sticking out, not rocking the boat. And then you have North America, which is very I-based, where it's about your and your nuclear family, and that's it. And Mm -hmm. you use the word I a lot. I remember when we moved from India, my parents wouldn't allow us to say, these are my toys. We had to say, these are our toys. Everything Mm. was about sharing. And so when you grow up in a we mindset, and then you come into a corporate America space, or even if you leave your home and go into school, and you're in a we mindset, and everyone else is in an I mindset, it really creates this like polar opposite experience. I say it's all contextual. So there are times Mm -hmm. when we must be in a we space. If you're in a team Mm -hmm. and internal and organization, when your input is impacting the collective deliverable, then yes, you have to speak in a we 
place. If you are in a context where you're talking about your performance review, that's when you have to speak about your credentials, your accomplishments, and that's where you're in the I space. So it's sort of Mm -hmm. like gracefully dancing. And I think I help AAPI women dance between the we and the I and teach you skills of how to speak up when you're in the we and what to do when you're in the I, because it's very comfortable for us to reside in the we. It's going into the I that's viscerally uncomfortable. So I provide strategies to feel more comfortable for self-advocacy and self-promotion. In this clip, Laura Cardi, author of the book, My Father's List, speaks about the power of belief and how it's shaped her journey following the devastating premature loss of her father to a distracted driver. There is this sort of like invisible hand that's pushing us along in our journeys where we want the ball to go, so to speak. I feel like he's behind shepherding us along. I want to hear more about what that looks like for you in terms of after your father passed. When he died, I was a little bit focused on the real world, which was we all have human bodies and those human bodies die. And when the human body dies, that person is no longer there. That's just looking through my physical eyes, but it's not looking at it through my Mm -hmm. spiritual eyes. Our energy that we carry inside of us, we're just vessels for it. But really, it's impossible Mm -hmm. for energy to die. It has to go somewhere. My dad hadn't actually gone anywhere. And I know that now. But at the time, I didn't believe it. And I think that's the key word is your belief. Like, what do you believe is happening? And not just with spiritual things, not just with the afterlife, what you believe about yourself and your life is going to really color your experience of it. And I don't I don't think it's a thing like, oh, I can just wish something into being. It's more what am I going to do to make it happen? If you pray for something, that's so different than just wanting it or wishing for it because now Mm -hmm. you're co-creating. You're asking for help. I don't think it matters if it's a Christian God or a Jewish God or Buddhism or the universe, whatever you think you're praying to. And I think I might've had a nudge towards that because Mm -hmm. of doing his list. It opened up these new channels for me of understanding that if your loved one has passed on, they're always trying to Mm -hmm. communicate with you. Here... Freeman Fung shares the art and science behind Travel to Transform, a book and platform inspired by his travel to more than 35 countries. The thing I love about the book, Freeman, is that you're sharing a part of your soul, so to speak, but then you're also giving the reader, it's almost like a cookbook, you know, about how they can transform their life through travel. Tell us more about the book. Travel to Transform is a transformation from within through traveling. That's this beautiful outside world where we can travel and venture into and we can explore the beautiful world out there, the mountains, the lake, the landmarks. But at the same time, there's this beautiful inner world where we can travel to the depths of our mind, body and spirit. And when these Mm -hmm. two worlds collide, the overlapping part is what I call travel to transform because that is the ultimate fast track for our personal growth. And that has become the core message I'm sharing. I'm empowering more global citizens to step into this space, to live a holistic, well-centric life where we step into our true identity, not that template Mm -hmm. we're given by our society, not that template we're given by our family. The true purpose that why we are here and how we can enjoy this life to be experiencing all the world could offer to us in a conscious way. And how we are crafting that path, that journey for our own self is the art and science behind Travel to Transform. Three-time TEDx speaker and prolific author, Laron Barton gives his unique take on code switching, a practice that many minorities engage in to navigate advancement in corporate America. 
You talk about something called code switching. For me, as a South Indian, Asian American, it's something I'm very familiar with, right? Because as an immigrant, right. I have had to, you know, pardon the pun, whitewash right. a lot of my identity. Right. You know, 100%. Just, uh, erase any association with certain practices in my culture, you know, any whiff of an accent, really just trying to smooth right. it out or flatten it out. You took, you make, I would say, like, drew a line in the sand and said that you were taking like a firm stand against code switching. Right. Um, tell, tell us more. Code switching means that I'm going to talk one way with my friends, my folks, and I'm going to talk another way with folks in corporate America. Code switching equals assimilation. It's all about survival. Right. As I wrote in my last Newsweek article, America tries to strangle every piece of culture, individuality and self-respect from you. It just tries to just break that down because we're not like white Americans. I just found myself one one day I would just be talking one way to white friends. Then I would get around the folks and I would and I'll talk a different way. And it was just one day. Yeah. I was like, you know, what? that's just too much thinking. We talked about this uh, prior to the interview. It's all about being true to yourself. None of us can be 100 percent who we are when we go going to corporate America. But if you have to strip away who you are innately to survive or to function in a work environment, that is not your place. Find your place. Find your people. That's what I'm all about. Join my wife, Shelly Sood, and I as we speak with Benoit Kim about the importance of mindful living on his podcast, Discover More. This interview was recorded shortly after the painful passing of her father and my father-in-law. What does mindful living mean to you both? Mindful living to me means quieting the part of our brain that is in overdrive, the default mode network. That part of the brain really represents our ego on a whole. When I become mindful, I have gone into present moment. I have a clear idea of where I wanted to go and where I want to be. The most tranquil time in my day is when I have those 30, 40 minutes of meditation or breath work. Breath work is huge for me as well. I think uh, breathing is the most powerful powerful biohack out there. We have this uh, incredibly complex system that we have so much control over that we give up because we get so swept up in all the pressures of the modern world, all the quote unquote conveniences and all these quote unquote collaboration tools that leave us feeling more isolated than ever. For me, mindful living means getting up every day and doing about 20 minutes of breath work. There's this amazing methodology that I think I've talked to you about. It's called Soma Breath which is a powerful thing that combines the power of breath work, but also music and a lot of Eastern philosophies that are so powerful uh, from, you know, the Gita, the Vedas, etc. And just overpowering and insurmountable. I wouldn't say they vanish, but I feel more equipped and more grounded and better able to confront them. In this clip, Chris McDonald discusses brain spotting, a powerful modality that may in some cases prove more effective than traditional talk therapy. You did talk about one thing that I had never actually heard of before, and that is brain spotting. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that. So it's based on the concept that where you look impacts how you feel. So let's say that I'm stressed out with a presentation I have to give and I can feel it in my chest and feeling stressed. And then if I look to my right, I feel more activated. I feel more tension. But if I look to my left, I feel calm. So that's two different eye positions. So if I look to the right, if I feel more activated, then that would be an activation spot. 
and seeing mm -hmm. on the left would be a resource spine. So it's connecting our visual field to noticing whether it's a trauma. Sometimes with trauma, we don't have words for it. So that's the way that we can tap into that with the visual field, utilizing it in therapy to process much quicker. Because with traditional talk therapy, we're in the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. We can't go to the deeper stuff. So the only way to access the deeper parts of the brain and trauma is to use EMDR or brain spotting. And brain spotting is more finding one spot. EMDR, they do more movement of the eyes and bilateral stimulation, left side, right side, which in brain spotting, we use that with music that goes from right ear to left ear and crosses the corpus callosum in the brain. So that helps clients to go deeper when we use brain spotting too. I have found tremendous success with people using this modality. They're able to process quicker than traditional therapy. In this clip, Jyoti Mineral Balancing founder Kyle Pesce touches on the importance of a, quote, detoxification-friendly lifestyle for healing and maximizing performance. You talked about environmental factors, environmental pollution. How does that impact things like mental health? You know, we live in the most toxic times in human history. These, these metals are thousands of times higher than they were even a couple decades ago. They will gradually permeate into us, especially if we don't live a detoxification-friendly lifestyle and nourish mm -hmm. ourselves really well. There's one, for example, this isn't even a metal, actually. This is a pesticide, glyphosate as a desiccant for you know wheat, corn, soy, all that. And it's become just really pervasive, especially among processed foods, but just food in general. And Dr. Stephanie Seneff, in one of her studies, one of her investigations showed that glyphosate could destroy one of the pathways that microbes use to actually create the happy molecules of the serotonin mm, that our gut microbes are supposed to make. Glyphosate will destroy the microbes that produce that and also damage those pathways. And it applies for so many metals. I mean, mercury has loads of associations with ADHD and bipolar and autism. I don't really want to say this as a way of projecting doom because we live in a toxic right. world. I just want to bring attention to this because if people do learn how to live a detoxification-friendly lifestyle, they can not only heal, but they can radically improve their overall performance and their psychological well-being. And there's a lot of evidence to support that. Amish Shah's groundbreaking documentary, The Natural Law, began more than 10 years ago. It started with going down the proverbial rabbit hole of ancient wisdom traditions such as Ayurveda, which helped him heal from numerous chronic conditions. What I found while getting rid of all the different companies and pushing the reset button was I love ancient wisdom. And it actually was something that would keep me up at mm -hmm. night more than my own business would when I hated my company. I was like, I'm going to go off into La La Land and ancient wisdom land and, and go do something there. And then, yeah, yeah, on, go down the go rabbit, down hole, the rabbit and hole. Maybe yeah, that'll yeah. make me more fulfilled on my marketing business and my software business, you know. And mm -hmm. so, sure enough, it just clicked that I just this is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. I'm really good at media. I'm really good at marketing. What do I do to combine those two and to have a positive impact on humanity? To have a positive impact on right. consciousness-based media, where we're not pitching software or marketing or how to make money or how to increase ROI, or we're yeah. pitching how to become a healthy person, more spiritual person, how to get into deeper sets of mind states and manifest your perfect life. And those were the topics that I really want to talk about, mm -hmm. ancient wisdom, ancient civilizations. So I got really passionate about this while I was winding things down. I was turning up these new ideas and I was like, huh, I kind of like these ideas. And it just randomly, like we said earlier, the synchronicity. There was mm -hmm. more and more of these synchronicities that would show up when I started following that path. I'm like, okay, maybe you're just signs or whatever. And that's a wrap. Another year in the books, as they say. 
I want to thank everyone who made 2023 such an incredible year for the Untether Your Life podcast, the guests, the production team, and most importantly, you, the listener. I hope that these discussions prodded you to explore something new and untether yourself from the tried and true. Strategies for managing your mental health, approaches to self-improvement in your career, holistic healing modalities, or various cultural traditions. For more of these types of conversations, please visit us at untetheryourlife.co. You can also find us on Instagram at Untether Your Life, as well as on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms by searching for Untether Your Life. And if you did enjoy this episode, please leave us a review or share it with someone who might also benefit. Thanks, and until the next time we meet, stay untethered and happy 2024.